0: Thank you, Elder Now, the best way to follow the sermon is really to have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 5. And if you find it helpful to have an outline. You can download it from our website, arpcsg eBulletin. Now, we all know that um, National Day is around the corner, isn't it? Right? There are flags everywhere. We are preparing for Let's Carnival. So, what are some of the benefits as, of being a Singaporean as we celebrate National Day? What are the benefits of being a Singaporean? Now, in the latest update, the Singapore passport is now officially the most powerful passport in the world. After trailing Japan for many years, we are now having Singaporeans have the most powerful passport because we can visit a whooping 192 destinations out of 227 without a visa, right? So it's time to book your holidays. And now for Singapore parents, Singaporean parents who are registering their children for primary school uh, recently, you will no doubt be reaping the benefits of being a Singaporean. That's unless, of course, if you go for uh, schools like Aitong Primary, then you may still have the ballot. But then, as a Singaporean, you still stand a chance and eligible for the ballot. So that's the benefits of being a Singaporean. Now, one of the benefits of me serving among the youth and the young adults is that I get a glimpse, a glimpse of their thinking, a glimpse of at least their lingo, right? For a start, most of us here will, will know what law means, right? You know? L O L. okay, I hope you do. If you don't, let they're going to be quite terrible. Because it's quite a dated and easy one, right? But let me ask you, what about S-F-L-R? What about S-F-L-R? Or how about T-L-D-R? What does that mean? Now, to bring us, some of us up to speed, okay, S-F-L-R means sorry for the late reply, a lot of the youth do that because they ghost you for many, many days, weeks, months, and then they tell you they are sorry for the late reply, right? Or TLDR means too long, didn't read, right? That's why the youth will always send messages in bits, 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 bits. If you send it too long, they don't read it at all, right? The moment you have to put press read more, you will not get it, right? But let's go for something harder, right? What about... ATB. What about WTV? Okay? Well, Pies, if you don't know, boobs, that's the benefit of serving among the young people. I get to know what they are talking about. But now, you see, the benefits I just mentioned may not be very big, You know, it's not permanent, things pass. But Romans 5, the passage in front of us today, spells out benefits that are far more significant. You know, these are the benefits that all Christians enjoy. And more specifically, these are the benefits those who are justified by faith enjoy. You know, in the... if our Bible is open in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it begins with this phrase, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. That means that whatever benefits a Christian enjoys comes as a result of being justified by faith. Now, before finding out what these benefits are, it's good to just have a quick recap what we have covered in Romans so far to understand what justified by faith means. See from Romans chapter 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul has reason explained that all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So no one, whether Jew or Gentile, has done good and no one seeks God. So there's no favoritism and no discrimination at all. All of us stood on the same ground and will be judged equally. However, that is the problem. The problem is that no one stands righteous before God. Being a holy and just God, there is no way to bribe or coerce God to rule in your favor. God is far wiser, far more impartial, and far more independent than CPIB or any judge in the Supreme Court. As such, God's wrath and His righteous judgment against sin will be fully exacted on the day of judgment. And therefore, all humanity needed a solution outside of us. There's no way anyone could save himself or herself through their works. But thanks be to God that the solution was provided by God himself through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the judgment due to us. And so all those who receive that solution that God provided by faith, that is by trusting in Him now, will stand righteous before God. And that is what is meant by justified by faith. It's a declaration of a status free of guilt before God. Now that does not mean that Christians suddenly become innately or, you know, or morally righteous. In other words, no Christian can boast that they are better than someone else. But every Christian can boast of what Jesus has done for them. So it's no coincidence that the passage before us is regularly punctuated with the phrase, true Jesus Christ. Because it was through Jesus Christ, His saving work on the cross, the blood that He shed, that those who have faith in Him are justified. But we come back, right? What are the consequential benefits of being justified by faith? Well, firstly, in verse 1, Christians have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, this means that there is no more, no more hostility between God and man. Before being justified, God's holy wrath and rightful wrath was on all people everyone, as well, is against God as rebels and as his enemies. But as a result of Jesus' death on the cross, that hostility is removed because sin, the problem, has been dealt with. And we read further in the passage, verse 10 calls this peace between God and Christians, reconciliation. God's relationship with people is restored. But secondly, Secondly, in verse 2, Christians through Jesus Christ have access into this grace in which they stand. Now the meaning of grace just means undeserved favour. So in a way, being justified or being made right before God is that favour. For we deserve wrath rather than favour from God. Another, Another way of putting it Christians now stand in a position positive and favoured before God. See, the use of the word grace also suggests to us that all these benefits comes not from what we do. We do not earn them. It is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. You know, when uh, friends, colleagues, siblings... or even couples have fights and they have arguments with one another, there will always be this great hostility between them, right? They will fight, they will scold each other and all that. But even if they decide to forgive one another, they say sorry to each other, their relationship may not be all that warm and good anymore. They might go past each other, maybe say hi or smile, but it will not be fully back again. However, what Jesus had done on the cross is more than just to declare that someone is no longer guilty. He actually restores that relationship between himself and his people to one that is now not just without hostility, but one which is positive and in favour. So both peace with God and access to this grace are the consequential benefits that Christians enjoy presently. See, from the moment they profess Christ, faith in Christ and are justified, they have all these benefits. And then by the time you come to the end of verse 2, it introduces the last benefit and the main theme of this chapter, the hope of the glory of God. Now this hope is a hope that Christians have in the present as well. However, the fullness of that benefit, the fulfilment of that benefit comes only in the future. That's why it's called hope. But what is this hope of the glory of God? We don't usually use this phrase, don't we? Now, you would remember from the previous studies or the sermons that all humanity have fallen short of the glory of God. And... By default, all of us humans, we have exchanged the glory of the creator God for created things. You see, all of us are made in the image of God to reflect the glory of God. However, that image was marred by sin. So who we are now is really far from who we are supposed to be. But what Jesus did for us on the cross gives us the hope that we will be restored to that glory one day. Now, Paul will elaborate more about that in Romans chapter 8, but in short, it is the hope that we will have a new glorified body free from sin, pain, and death. But that's the hope that all Christians have as a result of being justified by faith. Is the hope of the glory of God that will be fulfilled in the future. Now, there was once uh, I was invited to uh, attend a wedding dinner. You know, as usual, when we go for a wedding dinner, we don't know where we sit, right? So we go up to the reception counter, you know, and uh, we find out which table we were assigned to, and then we go there, right? So at this particular wedding I was invited to, the helpers at the reception couldn't find my name among the people I was suspected to be seated with. Now I can imagine, right? Pretty embarrassing, isn't it? In Hokkien, it's a bit ah, huh? Malay malu. Right. It's as if I was trying to crash you know, at a dinner that I was not invited to. But thankfully, they eventually found my name on the list, but it's just that I'm not sitting with those people that I'm supposedly supposed to sit with. But Paul tells us in verse 5 that this hope, this hope of the glory of God will not put us to shame. That means that this hope will certainly come true. See, those who put their faith in Jesus, they will not be red-faced, they will not laukui, they will not be malu and not be disappointed on the day of judgment. But the question is, how do we know that? How can Christians be so sure that it will surely come true? Now, that is the big question for us today. How can Christians be certain of this hope of the glory of God? Well, the first answer to that is because God's love for us is experienced through the Holy Spirit and evidenced by the death of Christ. You know, the second clause of verse 5, it tells us that the reason why this hope does not put us to shame is because, giving us the reason, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now That that means that the Holy Spirit who resides in every Christian brings a personal and a present conviction of God's love to you. Now that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. He convicts people of the love of God towards them. Now, although this conviction in our hearts is you know, subjective to different people, but it's not just a mere feeling, a emotion, or some wistful thinking, right? It's not a case of sometimes some deluded lover, right? Always thinking, oh, the other person must love me. Wistful thinking. But verse 6 begins with the word for, to explain that this conviction by the Holy Spirit is actually grounded on objective truth and the historical account of God's love for us. See, the depth of a person's love is measured by the cost of his love, and at the same time measured by the worthiness of the recipients. So what is the cost of God's love? If you look at verse six to eight. The verb die appears a couple of times in these verses, and that is to highlight to us that the cost of God's love is not an expensive diamond, not an expensive car, not a luxurious house, but the death of His one and only Son, Jesus. That was the high price God paid for His love for us. And then who are the beneficiaries of Jesus' death? In other words, who did Jesus die for? Now the logic of uh, Paul's argument in verse seven is that hardly anyone will die for a righteous person, right? A righteous person is someone you know who is morally upright, never break any rules, always cross the traffic light when it's the green man, you know, never chew gum, whatever, right? But see, will any one of us here take a bullet for a morally upright man? were not right? However, it may be slightly different for a good man. See, a good man is someone who is generous, is kind towards others. Now, will someone or will any one of us here die for a good person, a generous person, a kind person, perhaps someone who you have received benefits from? Will you? Perhaps a bit more likely than for a righteous man. But it's still unlikely. But who did Jesus die for? See Verses 6 and 8 tells us that Jesus died for the weak, for the ungodly, for the sinners. In fact, when you read verse 10, it also tells us that Jesus died for his enemies. See, if no one is likely to die for a righteous man or a good man, how much more unlikely will someone die for the weak, for the ungodly, for the sinners, and for the enemies? Because will you? Will you die for your hated colleague, hated boss, hated bully, a criminal? You surely won't, right? Right? But Jesus died for us when we were still unworthy sinners and his enemies. Such is the depth of his love for us. But let us come back to the question of how we can be certain of the hope of the glory of God. You see, if Jesus has displayed such great love for us, will he not ensure that the hope of the glory will come true? You see, if Jesus was willing to die for sinners and enemies such as us, why will He not see us to the very end? Of course He will. See, the conviction of God's love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit is not just a wistful, subjective feeling or emotion, but it is rooted objectively and historically in God's love for us in Jesus' death. So how can Christians be certain of this hope of the glory of God? The first answer is that it is because of God's love for us that is experienced through the Holy Spirit and evidenced by the death of Christ. But secondly, it is because God has done the harder thing of justifying and reconciling us to God. See, Paul continues his argument in verses 9-10 to to affirm the certainty of this hope. However, the emphasis and basis of these verses is not so much on love. These verses are actually typical arguments from the greater to the smaller or the major to the minor. Right? And it's denoted by the repeated words much more. See, verses 9 to 10 are parallel statements which you can see from the table. I'll show you there. Next slide. See, both these verses state that God has already done the harder thing, right? The harder thing of justifying us and reconciling us with God through the death of Jesus Christ. As mentioned, these are the present benefits that Christians enjoy. As such, it is logical that he will do the easier thing later on of saving us in the future. Now, this saving is the way of saying that he will spare us from the wrath or the judgment of God on the end time day of judgment, and then he will glorify us. Now allow me to illustrate that, right? You know, in order to go to a Taylor Swift concert, what is the hardest thing to do? The hardest thing to do is to get the tickets, right? So some of you may have, I don't know, stepped overnight at some streets waiting to get the tickets. Some of you might back borrow steal. some of you might. Have a joint UOB to get a chance, right, But you see, the moment the moment the tickets are purchased, why would you be denied entry on the day of the concert? Or imagine, you know, imagine that your parents bought you a new house, a new car, you know and and they didn't just pay. The deposit, they paid a full price for that car or house. Why would you not be given the keys to enter when the house or the car is ready? You would be. So, similarly, Jesus has done the most difficult thing. He has has died for us. His death is the harder task and and the means for us to be saved. So, why would God deny us the salvation? when the time comes. He will surely not do that. As such, our hope of the glory of God is made certain. See, God has done the harder, the major, and the needed thing of justifying us and reconciling us to God. And that was done through the Lord Jesus Christ. He will surely glorify us in the end. However, Paul seems to have you know, in this passage seems to have anticipated a few challenges to the certainty of this hope. Now, the first of it could be the presence of suffering. You know, in verses 3 to 4, Paul explained that the presence of suffering uh, that is with with us and is not an indication that God has failed or the hope of the glory is derailed. In fact, He says that that Christians can actually rejoice, or perhaps in some translation, boast even of of suffering. Now, that's not to say that Christians should now go around looking for suffering. But nonetheless, suffering will surely be experienced in our fallen world. You will be experienced as a Christian. However, Christians can rejoice. When they experience suffering, because there are good results from it. about are these good results? It tells us in verses three to four, suffering will produce endurance." See going through suffering actually builds strength, And the meaning of the word "endurance" here can be single-mindedness, focus. In other words, suffering can make one focus on what is truly important. The endurance, the persevering in that. And then endurance will produce character. Now character means the testedness of the quality of the person. It means that if someone endures and comes through that suffering, he or she develops and is proven to have a quality that can withstand all the suffering. And interestingly, it's a loop this character actually produces hope. See, suffering makes us clear-minded on what is important, who we trust in, and where we are heading. It It will also make us look even more forward to what is to come rather than to just crave and build your confidence and your pleasure for the present. You know, professional athletes... They have to be very disciplined and train very hard. Now, I was listening to some brief interviews on the kind of training and life a professional skater and a swimmer has to undergo. Now, it was grueling, to say the least, because they have strength training every day in the gym on top of their, you know, more than two sessions, whether it's in the pool or in the skating ring. And furthermore, they have to keep to a very strict diet and rest. Right? They have to sleep well, they cannot, you know, many of young people stay up late, play games or talk and chat. They have to sleep, give enough rest and eat those food that you don't really like. So you can imagine life to be rather painful and difficult. However, if they keep to it, they will really become stronger and better and you will make them even more focused on the goal they set and not let any other things distract them. As such suffering, the very presence of suffering does not reduce the certainty of the hope, but sometimes it actually strengthens it instead because we look more forward to that. Now the second challenge to the certainty of this hope is the power of sin and death. Now, how can this hope of glory be certain if sin prevails and death reigns in the present? If you look around, that is the constant thing that we see, sin and death. And it seems that they reign. So Paul answers that challenge with a comparison or more so a contrast of the two persons who defy the history of humanity, Adam and Jesus. Now, this comparison or more like contrast is seen from all the repeated phrases in verses 12 to 19 of just as, so also, or not as, so is. Right? So to make it simpler and easier for us to understand Paul's argument, let me summarize and present that comparison and contrast in a table form for you. you know, Adam and Jesus are similar in the sense that their one action affects humanity as their representative. But they are firstly different in their actions. Why? Because we know from the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve, they disobeyed the one and only prohibition God gave them. And through that one act of disobedience and trespass, sin entered the world, and from sin, death came into the world. And even if it was Eve, who was the first one to disobey, Adam as the representative head of all humanity is held accountable. That's the difference. Adam and Jesus then are secondly different in the results of their action. The result of one act of disobedience or trespass of Adam was condemnation, judgment, and death. Adam and Eve were cut off from God's presence and denied access to the tree of life. Therefore, death reigns over all of humanity. Ever since that one act of that one man, Adam, death reigns. And all of us who are born in the age of the reign of death are likewise cut off from God and cut off from the source of life. But thankfully for all of us, that is not the final story or the state of humanity because on the other side, Jesus' one act of obedience to death on the cross was God's grace towards us. It resulted in justification, grace, and life for those who receive them. However, this contrast or this comparison here, that's not the important point, just to contrast the actions of the result. The emphasis here is the more than sufficient overwhelming power and effects of Jesus' actions over Adam's. And that is denoted many times in this passage with the phrase, much more. Now this phrase was, you know, as mentioned, is already emphasized in verses 9 to 10, and then again in verses 15 to 17. So this brings us to the, uh, the last answer to the question, why we can be so certain of the hope of the glory of God? Now, we can be certain because Jesus' act of obedience is more than sufficient to overcome the power of sin and death that came through Adam's act of disobedience. Now, I was going to skip the part on the place of the law for time constraint, so we can switch off the slides. But let's ask ourselves the question, what does all these things mean for us? I think firstly, some of us might be suffering now. It could be suffering because, simply because of being a Christian. Or it could be suffering because of living in a fallen world with a fallen body. You suffer from illness, physical or mental. Perhaps you have people constantly sinning against you and hurting you or you're struggling, struggling to cope with the stresses and the expectations of this world. Those moments of suffering, it's really hard to believe that God has a purpose for everything. It's hard to see, see the end when you are going through all the pain and suffering. But may you take heart, take heart from God's word today. Because the suffering will not be the last word. Yes, the suffering will not only strengthen and refine you, it will also make you focus and look forward to the hope they has given you and not the false hopes of this world. And this hope will not put you to shame. You will not laugh malu at the end. You will receive the glory of God will be transformed into the glory of God as He has promised you because He loves you and He has purchased your entry pass or your ticket with the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. But secondly, some, if not all of us, we are all struggling with sin in our lives. There will be times when you wonder if you know, are you safe or not? And you wonder whether you will reach the end and be saved from the wrath of God on the day of judgment. You leave each day burdened and without joy. Of course, constant repentance is needed, as we will learn from Romans chapter 6. But let us be encouraged by the assurance and the promises of God's word today. Your salvation and your glorification is not ultimately dependent on you. While you have human responsibility to persevere, it is the work, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that justified you. It is Him who has overcome the power and the reign of sin and death. So He so, so be assured of His grace and His love for you in Christ Jesus. It is not your works. It is not your works that saves you. It is also not your works that will guarantee your glorification at the end. Because Jesus, Jesus alone, has done the greater and the necessary thing to see you to the end and to be saved from the wrath of God. No matter how great your sins are, His mercies is more than any of them. You know, around this time, many people will be planning for their end of the end-of-the-year holidays. And maybe some of you have already done it, right? Yeah, I know because people always ask me, when is basic camp? And they will try to work their way, or their holidays around the camp. Well, your parents are doing that, thank you for doing that. And, uh, and by the way, uh, camp is from 8 to 11 December. But as you plan for your holidays, you will see, you know, you will go on the internet, you go to a travel fair, you'll see all the attractive and beautiful brochures and pictures of the places to go, the fun things you can do and enjoy. However, unless you sign up for it, you won't be able to receive the benefits of that holiday. See, my friends, the benefits of peace with God, the grace and the hope of the glory of God are promised and made available to all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't have to pay a cent for it because Jesus. Paid for it all. So you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus, we pray and hope that you will start exploring and find out more so that you can share with all those who are justified by faith the peace, the grace, and the hope in Christ Jesus. Let us rise and let us pray together. Dear Father, we want to thank you for your love and your grace towards us. Indeed, we were once sinners, rebels, enemies of yours, weak and ungodly. We sin against you and sin against others and we have fallen short of the glory of God. But yet in your great love to us, you send your Son, our Lord Jesus, to die for us. And now we are justified by faith. We can receive the benefits of being at peace with you, to enjoy the grace before you, and to have the hope of the glory of God. Father, we thank you for your word to us, to assure us and to convict us of the certainty of this hope. For many times, in our suffering or in our sins that we are unsure. We oscillate between confidence and dejection. But Father, you have assured us that you have done the greater thing and you paid the cost and you have loved us to the extent of dying for unworthy recipients like us. So may you strengthen us, encourage us, even in times of doubt and weakness, that we will be assured that one day, when the day of judgment comes, we will see this hope of the glory of God fulfilled and we will have a new body without pain, without death, and without sin. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.